Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1998 film You've Got Mail. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing fine, thanks. Uh, Barrett, we talked last week about how neither of us had seen this uh, seen this film. So I already know your history with this film, which is you watched it this week. <laughs> um, what is do you what is your history with Nora Ephron? Is she somebody who is a, a filmmaker or writer of significance to you beyond this week? Um, yeah, you know the uh, the the first uh, the first film she wrote was uh, was kind of a serious film with Silkwood with Meryl Streep about Karen Silkwood who was a whistleblower at a nuclear uh, facility, you know, a nuclear power plant. But then after that, you know, her big splash was when Harry met Sally uh, with Billy Crystal and 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 Meg Ryan, and then um, Sleepless in Seattle, and then oh, Heartburn came along as well, which was a semi autobiographical film based on her marriage to Carl Bernstein. Um, and then she did one other. She did Julie and Julia after after this one. So I've seen uh, most of those most of those films. So I think of her as um, as somebody who writes fairly witty, uh, not especially heavy films. Although Silkwood is fairly heavy. Um, so yeah, that's my experience with her. She also this could be apocryphal, but also um, helped to create one scene in um, All the President's Men mm. um, because the the scene where Bernstein like tricks his way into when he goes to Florida and tricks his way in. I, I think that was a, was a Nora Ephron, Carl Bernstein, like adding that to Goldman's script. Cause I think Goldman right. doesn't like that part. So that's, that, that's the earliest work I'm aware of that. I, okay. that I, I have a connection. I actually have very little, even everything that you named are movies I have not seen. I've not okay. seen when Harry met Sally. I've not seen Silkwood. I've, so I'm, these are titles I'm aware of, but I came into this, um, probably kind of with a sense of who Nora Ephron was, but not actually having seen really any anything uh, from her. Um, so when you went into this film, did you go into it with any expectations? Did anything surprise you? Yeah. Um, yes, in terms of expectations, and yes, I think in terms of surprise. I guess in terms of expectations, I expected a fairly formulaic rom-com. Um, and, and I think... I think I got that. Uh, at the same time, I was surprised that I liked it better than I thought I would because I expected a formulaic rom-com. Um, one thing that surprised me, and, and, I, and I actually read one of the reviews that kind of echoed this, is it was, it was so reminiscent in some ways of a Woody Allen, of, of an early Woody Allen comedy. And um, I was also uh, interested and surprised by how much it was a kind of a love letter to New York which is one of the ways in which it's kind of Woody Allen. One, one reviewer put it, put it this way, that this would make you want to live on the Upper West Side, even if you already lived on the Upper West Side. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's very much, and, it, and at the same time, I want to react against that. I want to say, why should I, why should I um, envy the lifestyles of these affluent uh, New Yorkers, but at the same time, there's a little bit of me. I spent enough time in New York. There's a little bit of me that says, "Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a nice place to live for at least for a little while." Well, that's interesting because uh, a lot of the things that I read um, and and stuff I've heard from from Efron talking about this movie had a lot to do with kind of how she wanted to portray New York. And I will say, I've never been to New York, so so that stuff is always lost on me when people talk about this is a really New York movie, or when you talk about. A certain area in the city it's like those things are meaningless to me mm -hmm. um so so one of the things that she did talk about was wanting to portray new york as a big city that has small towns within it so mm -hmm. um so like the fact that that 
this is a very particular area. And even the way that she uses extras in this movie, that she reuses extras. So you, so you start to get familiar with background faces in the way you would in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like, even if this is not a character with lines or, or just in the background, it's like, Oh, I'm seeing. And that sets up the idea that uh, Kathleen and Joe could constantly be crossing paths as you see at the beginning of the movie and not meeting because the city's full of these people that you constantly see, but don't meet. And I will also say that, I, that one of the other things that surprised me about the film is I think it's very smartly edited. Um, I mean, that scene that you referred to is, is, a, is a good example where we see them uh, really crossing paths without realizing it. But I also just think in general, the way the film plays with the balance of the two different worlds in which they move and then showing where they intersect, I think it's, re it's really well done in that respect. Um, I, one thing, and I was going to ask you this last week when we talked about Shop Around the Corner, and I didn't, and I, I thought, well, I'm going to throw this question in before we get too deep into the movie. Have you ever had a friendship or relationship that was that existed largely over mail or email? Because, I mean, these two movies both have this as like a, uh, a plot device uh, as part of it, and I'm wondering, is this, are you a letter writer? Have you ever been in your life like a letter writer? Yeah, when I when I was a kid, I tried doing a little bit of that pen pal stuff uh, with somebody uh, in Africa, actually, and it it kind of petered out after four or five letters. Um, I mean, I, I have to say, I have, as I'm sure many of us do, I have lots of email friendships, but those are with with friends that I have obviously had a long relationship with beforehand. So I I email constantly to my best friend from high school, for example, but that's a 50 year long friendship. I will say I, I actually do have a version of this and it, it actually ties into this idea of like a even sort of romantic comedy version of this, which is um, when I first got to know my wife, we were both students here at Bethel and within a few months of that, the semester ended and then I went and studied abroad. Uh, I studied in Oregon for a semester and then I went to the Dominican Republic for a January. So we we kind of knew each other and wrote letters and then we got to know each other. Then we really spent time together for a few months. And then she went and studied abroad. So we wrote a lot of letters. And then I graduated and I moved to Mobile for a year. And so, and I, we wrote a ton of letters. So actually my relationship with my wife was mediated through the U.S. Postal Service for, <laughs> for really a, probably a solid two, two and a half years. Um, so that, so I do have a bit of romance with these type with, with both shop around the corner and this in terms of, it wasn't a stranger I was writing to, but it was still somebody that I was continuing to get to know. And instead of having conversations and being in physical proximity, there was a lot more of like, how do you put yourself down on paper and kind of what version of yourself? Cause you get to edit yourself when you're writing a letter, when you're mm -hmm. writing an email. Um, so, so, so I will say these movies in a good way hit close to home for me um, because that's a, a, a deep part of my experience. And like, and my wife and I don't write letters to each other anymore very often, but every once in a while we'll do that just to kind of like, Oh, remember when we used to write these like four page letters you know, and, and like, and the idea of checking your email or checking the mailbox became this like essential thing in your life. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I thought about with this movie um, was what a great time capsule it is for kind of late nineties, mm. um, late nineties America in, uh, in a number of ways uh, means looking at the cast of this movie with like, 
very much felt like okay these were these were even like the the secondary cast of this movie um had that feel i loved the early internet of it all i love mm-hmm. that it's a movie without phones and this movie would be changed if there was phones mm-hmm. Absolutely. um some of the styles the weirdest thing that seems so very true to uh the late 90s and it's funny because it's something which is still ubiquitous today but it's it's in a different way was the starbucks of this movie because it's so interesting that like fox books which is a stand-in for barnes and noble or borders or something like that 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 is this like evil enemy empire but starbucks is just embraced as like oh this is where we get coffee and it's funny now to think like well, that's like the evil empire, right? <laughs> like, like, like corporate empire. But, but there is just this thing of like this was at this moment when I feel like people didn't, nobody felt that way about Starbucks at the time. So it, so it, there's just sort of like these kind of quaint things. Even the way the internet appears in this. Um, one of the reviews in the Washington Post, uh, I think it was Michael Sullivan, Michael O'Sullivan, mm-hmm. um, talked about like how obsessed they were with being online and how online they were. And I read that and laughed and thought, this is not about a story about people who are really like, they have no idea what really online means. <laughs> you know, I think about like looking at, looking at students walking down the hall, staring at their phones. Like, like in 1998, we couldn't have imagined the internet the way it is now, the, the mm-hmm. way that it, it permeates us. So, and that way it felt like it felt quaint in it, but it reminded me of like, I remember the time when, the internet was that in was was very important, but it was kind of cordoned off to like those occasions when you chose to go online as opposed to your life is constantly plugged in. Well, yeah, I mean the the movie reminds you of that with the sound of the modem, right? And mm-hmm. and of course, um, it 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 glosses over those times when it seems to take forever for the connection to <laughs> to to dial in, and it's it's really kind of an infuriating. It was it could be a really infuriating process. Uh, to get online, and and the movie kind of glosses over that a, a little bit, but it certainly it certainly doesn't. The online life doesn't have the ubiquitousness, as you're saying, uh, in, in this film as it does for us now, and it still has that um, that kind of uh, hopeful naivete about the promise of, of life online. Although, of course, it also because of the way they present themselves online as being entirely different. Pe- well, quite different from how they present in in actual life. It certainly um, foreshadows uh the darker turn that online identities can actually take um so as i was thinking uh, and, and the the greg kinnear character actually is funny yes. because he's he's presented as if he's kind of a kook with his like he has this dark version of what you know the, the internet is the end of western civilization and all this stuff and in the context of the movie he seems a little bit like you kind of want to say settle down it's not that bad and then you watch it you know, 20 some years later and you're like, well, that guy's kind of right. Like, like that, that guy is a lot more right about a lot of things than, um, than he's kind of presented in the movie. Although the movie is also not d- totally dismissive of his view either. Um, but, but he does seem to be more of a fringe person where in 2000, uh, 2021, we would feel a little bit different. Like, like that character would not, his views would not be as marginalized. His views would maybe be a lot more, Kind of in the center of the frame if if we're having somebody critique the internet in that way he, he he's a very to me he's a he uh he is a very kind of woody allen character uh in, in the early comedies woody allen in the 70s comedies he almost always had some kind of a sidekick or somebody popping up and saying things that were somehow 
uh, either contrary or, or informational. I, I think about in, uh, in Annie Hall when he goes to California and the Tony Roberts characters kind of tell him how they live in California. Uh, and, and I think the great Kinnear character kind of has that function a little bit. He's also just, he's a New York type, of course, you know, the New York intellectual that shows up at the parties and he's ready to talk about Foucault and deconstruction and all, and all that kind of stuff. I also loved the 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 opening scene where, or not the opening scene, but an early scene where he's got the typewriters and yeah. he's lovingly talking about the typewriter. Which, if you know, like this is this is extra textual, you know, to this movie. But Tom Hanks is one of the like world's biggest typewriter aficionados. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the film California Typewriter, but he's prominent in that movie, mm. talking about his love for typewriters. And apparently, if you get to know Tom Hanks, one of the gifts he will very soon give you is a typewriter. If you show any affection towards typewriters. Apparently he has a house full of them and we'll just give oh, wow. you a typewriter and say, use this. So it's very funny that he's, um, that, that there is a character who, who matches what Tom Hanks actually is, but he's not that character, you know, in terms of that. Well, I, I, I have, I have no record of a, of a significant email cor correspondence, uh, but I, I do have a significant relationship with typewriters and my spot, my future spouse, because when I met her, she had a, an electric self-correcting typewriter in 1978. That was just, you know, the height of technology. <laughs> I do. I do. I did. Um, I'm old enough to have learned to type on a, an IBM Selectric typewriter. So when he talks about the hum and the like vibrations, I know exactly what that feels. I loved that feeling. It felt like you were at a powerful machine when you were at an electric typewriter. <laughs> um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, one of the things that I was curious about as um, watching this film was how it was going to exist in relationship to Shop Around the Corner. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I was thinking about things that Nora Ephron changes and you know do you think they work so I mean one of the big ones is instead of the 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 two central characters being kind of rival co-workers there we have these rival bookstores so they're actually um we still have the like family in the store it's just both characters aren't part of that 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 workplace family, right? That um, so instead we have this this tension about the small independent bookstore and the big corporate bookstore, and in that way she's kind of replacing the uh, where Lubitsch has like the Great Depression as the kind of backdrop of like if these people lose their jobs are they going to find other jobs? Mm -hmm. And instead we get kind of late Clinton era economic boom and these big you know big box store bookstores you know versus the the small so like so that becomes a different tension um in there now one of the things that i found interesting about that being such a major piece of this if i remember 1998 and maybe i'm remember, remembering it incorrectly it's so funny for a movie that places the internet as a uh, uh an important um plot device that there is no sense of like the dot com boom, which is also happening at this time. Now it would be early, like there. I don't. I mean, you wouldn't see that replacing bookstores right. yet, you know. But that actually ends up being the thing that would shut down something like. Fo I'm sure Fox Books would be, if it's uh, if it was open at all, would be in danger of closing in 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's on the horizon, but probably a little bit too far away for them to kind of think about that. And even things like. You know, Barnes and Noble has pivoted to online, and they're you know giving Amazon a run for the money. So maybe Fox Books would have done that as well. I think that's an interesting point, um, Sam. That the the film kind of recontextualizes the economic um, the economic pressures that you see in, in in Shop Around the Corner. 
I, I think that one of the, I don't know if it's a flaw in the film, but one of the things that one of the critics pointed out, one of the reviewers pointed out is that that, that struggle between the big store and the little store, in a kind of sense, it kind of drives the first part of the movie and then it, it kind of fades away, right? I mean, she, she, she loses the store and, um, and, and one thing that Efron does avoid, which I think is probably a good thing is, um, you know, he, she doesn't have Joe Fox come in and rescue the store, you know, prop it up. Um, I also don't understand why she didn't have Gene Stapleton rescue the store because Gene Stapleton's character says she's rich. Right. Uh, but, but maybe there's this kind of recognition that this is an economic reality and there's no point in propping it up. So it, it, it's interesting to me that, that that economic context just kind of, it just kind of goes away. In fact, you don't even under, you don't even know by the end exactly what Kathleen is doing to support herself as she writes this book because she evidently turns down the editing job unless I miss something. Um, and, and so she's writing this book and it's like the whole, the whole uh, issue of Goliath versus David in commerce just kind of, just kind of dribbles away. Well, she does it. Yeah, yeah. Efron does an interesting thing there, and it's actually I think it explains why Gene Stapleton didn't save the bookstore. It's one of my favorite moments. It's 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 a it's it's a weird, tricky moment, but it's when they're having brunch at Stapleton's house, and when we realize that she is extremely wealthy, and like that's a character I want to see a movie about. I want to know more about that character. She's maybe my favorite character and performance in the movie is Gene Stapleton, um, but she repositions the closing of the bookstore for Kathleen to say like, this is going to free you. Mm. Um, So, so it's something that, that we, because we see the bookstore through Kathleen's eyes, she romanticizes it as this thing that her mother gave to her and all this stuff. And what's interesting is Birdie is sort of telling her like, maybe this is also like a weight around your neck that you're trying to hold on to this thing that your mother built. And it's like, have you ever thought about, is this really what you want? Or is this something that, that attaches you backwards? Um, so I, I, you know, again, they don't do a lot with that, but I, but I'm glad that that's in there because it does help help you think about like, I mean, cause Efron clearly made a choice to say, we're not yeah. going to save the bookstore. We're not, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. I found that to be such an interesting thing because it does also um, give a piece of advice to somebody who's forced into a life change to say like, you know, may, maybe there is a positive to this. And maybe this thing that you've seen as a positive isn't entirely a positive to you. Well, that, that that's a really interesting point, Sam. And I guess I, I'm, I'm being a bit of a Luddite and a bit of a romantic and pushing against that. Um, but, 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 you know, Roger Ebert said in his review, um, you know, if you're honest about it, going to those big bookstores is kind of fun. And, and, and you get that scene, right? She, she finally goes into Fox books and she realizes, you know, it is quite an experience that people are having here. And it's a much more complex experience than they get in, in my store. Uh, and in a sense, the film tries to have the cake and eat it too. Right. So you know, so she's sitting there and she hears the clerk who doesn't know enough about books, of course. And she, Well, then you find out later on the Steve Zahn character is, is working there. And so it's the idea that, you know, so the answer is Fox Books will just hire people who are as knowledgeable as Kathleen. And we all can go away and not really miss the shop around the corner. And there's a part of me that wants to say, because, because you know, we've all seen this happen wherever we live, right? Like in, in the, in St. Paul and the twin cities, for example, you know, macabre books, uh, go, goes away. Um, and 
And so, you know, we've all been in stores like the shop around the corner. And there's a part of me that wants to say, oh, come on, can't we, can't we coexist? You know, does the big fish really have to eat, eat up the little fish? Um, but on the other hand, of course, people are going to, people are going to vote with their, with their, um, with their feet and their pocketbooks. And if they don't want that experience, they, they won't, they won't support that experience. That's the way capitalism works. And I guess Efron is just being real, realistic about that. Well, I like the way that she embraces the complexity of that because every time you, you go into Fox books, regardless of how you feel about a big book, a big, like corporate bookstore, it feels like wonderland. Like it's like, I, I want to walk around that. I want to sit and grab a book and read it. Like it, you know, and, and even the way at least the, the Joe Fox character talks about it. He's like, yeah, we're, you can come here and you can, you know, you can read and we're not going to bug you and, you know, try to get you to move on. Like, like, it's like, it does sound kind of great. And I think especially 20 some years later, the fact that a store like that would, wouldn't be in existence in the same way either. Like there, there's almost a romantic, uh, romanticizing I have for like, remember when in college, when we used to go to Barnes and Noble and we would just sit there all day and it's like, yeah. that sounds kind of great. And like, and I realized that, well, that killed somebody else's experience, you know, of, of another small bookstore or things like that. Um, so I actually think she does a, uh, an interesting job of making that complicated and, and asking you to think about, well, how do you, where do you find yourself? And I actually, maybe even the Starbucks thing is intentional to say like, you want to be on the side of shop around the corner and Kathleen's on the side of shop around the corner, but she doesn't go to a small coffee shop. She goes to Starbucks. So like we're all stuck in these grayer areas and maybe that's all intentional in that too. Well, let me draw an analogy because you know what you're, you know, I'm also thinking about, you know, one of the Barnes and Nobles in the area that used to have, as you said, you could go there, you could sit there all day, read a book. They wouldn't put any pressure on you to buy it. You could get your coffee uh, they had um, language conversation tables. You could go in and sit around and practice your foreign language. So the analogy I'm going to draw, Sam, is I think it's like what happens with a megachurch that tries to create, you know, cell groups within it. And so there are those of us who say, oh, I long for the days of the church with 100, 150 members. Uh, and the mega church can say, yeah, but we've got that. You know, we may have 4,000, 5,000 people, but we've got these great little cell groups and you can have your own little community within this big one. So I think that's, that's a rough analogy as I, as I try to think about that, but I'm going to say, no, I still want to be in a small group. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. And another change that she makes, which leapt off the screen at me, cause you learn about this really quickly. And if, and I think if you're just generally a rom-com fan, makes maybe makes no impact on you but if you were if you're the last movie you watched was shop around the corner and you realize this was kind of a remake of it the fact that both characters are in, are in relationships at the start of the movie mm. big big difference because yeah. <laughs> it you know it changes the way you think about like uh i mean i, I think um uh kathleen i think uses the uses the phrase emotional affair you know that, that 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 it's like it's if I don't meet him, I don't know him, then it's not an affair in the same way. But it clearly is crossing a line in terms yeah. of if you're thinking about relationships that you're in. Um, that that added a really interesting layer to this movie that isn't in Shop Around the Corner. Yeah, and, and it also sets a little bit of a challenge for Efron, and that is how do you get the characters out of those relationships without making them seem adulterous? Um, so it, it's interesting to me how she takes two different tacks. So the Meg Ryan, Greg Kinnear relationship, it's okay because they're not really in love. I don't love you. You don't love me. That's great. They can just split up. And then 
but the, the other relationship is it's, it's a little misogynistic, I think, um, because it's clear that Parker Posey is a terrible person. Um, and Joe Fox is crazy for, for, for being for being with her. And so she just gets what she deserves. She's an awful person. Nobody should be with her anyway. So we, we have no trouble kind of saying good, goodbye to her. So we're able to get rid of the nice guy because she doesn't really love him. And we're able to get rid of the shrewish woman because who would want to spend any time with her anyway? Yeah, I feel like Parker Posey's character is done dirty here because we don't we don't with with Kinnear's character we get more of him. And actually, I don't know if you if you encountered this story, but the um the the Meg Ryan Kinnear breakup from from what I found was a Greg Kinnear invention. So he was mm. coming off of as as an Oscar nomination in, in as good as it gets, and they Efron wanted him for this movie, and he read the script, and it was a more traditional like he's having an affair kind of thing. And he's like, no, 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 let's do it this way. And he pitched her this idea that they both are like, yeah, we don't, not only does she not love him, we don't love each other. Isn't this great? We can just move on. And it, I actually thought that scene was, was, was great because it's like, not what I, I was, because they, they plant all the seeds for like, this guy's having an affair. Right. And then, and then you realize like, well, she's also having an emotional affair. And then when, even when they're having the conversation and she asks about the woman from the, the yeah. television show, he's like, no, no, nothing's happened. But do you think it could like, like, it's like all of a sudden they become like friends who are helping them plan their next relationship. And like, I thought that is really brilliantly handled. And again, I, that's a lot of Kinnear pushing back. And, um, and I, so I do feel like I didn't love the way I actually, I liked, from uh, Joe Fox's point of view, I'm trying to try to use character names. From from Fox's point of view, I like the scene in the elevator where people are talking about what's the thing I'll like. That's really great. I just Parker Posey doesn't get to be a full person. <laughs> she no, she, no. she you know and 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 so I feel like that's that's the character that 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 we we get the most sort of uh, caricatured version of yeah. um, you know so. Um, yeah, I I didn't like the way because I like Parker Posey a lot as an actress too, mm -hmm. and I and I think she's she's great at playing that character. But it's like eh, she's the only one who doesn't get to be a more rounded person, or you know, so so the breakup becomes easy that way. Third thing from a big difference that I saw, and I'm curious your thought of if this is successful or not. In Shop Around the Corner, we get to hear or read almost none of their letters. And in this movie, so much of it is we're reading or hearing their correspondence, right? That that we get that we get we get an insight into what they're exchanging. Now, this is always a dangerous thing because whenever you make a, a piece of art about making art or like a, a movie about a writer, like you're always worried, like, well, when I encounter if I have to listen to their what they wrote, I hope it really is genius because the movie's been telling me it, that it's genius. And then sometimes you hear it and you're like, well, that's actually kind of trite what they wrote. So um, so shop around the corner, we get a little bit of their letters, but not much. This, we get a lot of their correspondence. And I'm yeah. curious your thought about that. You know, I think it actually works pretty well, uh, Sam. I think, I think one of the reasons why it works well is because you actually watch them in the process of crafting their personas. So, you know, so for example, you know, when he's trying to figure out how do I give her advice and she has to keep things 
you know, generic, so they can't identify each other. And he's got to craft his his answers around that. And, and of course, you know, the other thing is, if you didn't have this moment, you wouldn't have the great exchange about the Godfather. Right. I mean, that's, that, that's worth that's worth the price of admission. You know, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli, uh, go to the mattresses. I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, so I, I get it works because they're because what they say to each other is actually interesting, and because it's interesting watching them navigate, and because you know, because we know, you know. It, it starts out they don't know who each other is, and then Tom Hanks knows, of course, but we know. And so we're able to see, you know, the bigger picture of how what they're crafting uh, contrasts with what they're actually experiencing when they're face to face. So I think it I think it's a good move on Efren's part. And I and I think that it really works so that you have the you have the, the relationship being doubled in both real space and in, in cyberspace. And I think she handles that very adroitly. I 100% agree. I was nervous, that, uh, you know, when it started, like, okay, it's, how am I going to feel about this? And I thought, I think, I think she did it because she knew she could do it. Yeah. She could, she knew she could pull it off. Like, I think that writing is really good. I think that, like you said, the way that you're like, both see something, then you have to hear it described through, okay, I need to edit out the, you know, the specifics and how do I spin something in this way and that way? I, I actually, I really thought that was successful. It does make the movie a lot longer. Like this, I was, I was struck by how long of a movie yeah. this is. And in part, there's so much more in this movie after the cafe scene mm -hmm. where I feel like shop around the corner, like there's not that much after that, that cafe reveal sure. this, you get a lot more. And this were, this is where we, um, there's a lot of discourse, you know, especially I think, you know, around 2018, you know, the 20th anniversary, a lot of discourse around, um, what are we supposed to make of Joe Fox actually, you know, because he, he learns this information and where the Jimmy Stewart character almost, it seems like almost instantly. I mean, he he toys with her a little bit, but not much. Joe, it seems like it's a long time that 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 he knows and she doesn't. And as you said last week, you know that there's a a major power dynamic there then in this relationship, and he strings that along a lot longer here. Sounds like you read the same Atlantic article from 2018 that I read. <laughs> I read a couple, yeah, yeah, and 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 I thought that article really kind of nailed it because okay, one of the things that I really disliked about the film was my own response that as as Joe Fox tries to make her fall in love with him as he in real life and and continues to toy with her all the way down the line. I keep wanting to resist that, and yet the film works. So that when you get to the point where she says, "You know, I was hoping, I was hoping it was you," um, my brain is saying, "No, he's a jerk. He's been manipulating you shamelessly. Uh, do yourself a favor and walk away, because the guy that could do this to you in order to get you is going to do something bad to you down the line." So my 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 mind is saying that, but this is the way romantic comedies work, right? My heart is going, "Oh." Oh, that's so wonderful! Now, now, now the the relationship. Now they're together. So, and I I hate movies that do that to me. I, I maybe that's a broad generalization, but right. I don't. I mean, I I don't mind cognitive dissonance. I don't mind my heartstrings being tugged at, but I don't like it when my brain tells me this is wrong, and my heart tells me, oh, I feel so so good right now, or I'm going to shed tears. 
um, when I don't want to be shed in tears. So one of the other articles I read, which which kind of touches on exactly this, uh, um, Amelia Tate for Vice wrote, like most people with common sense, I love you've got mail, but like everything else I love, I must destroy it with over analysis. <laughs> and it's, and, and, you know, so, cause I thought that was interesting too, is that I think a lot of the people writing this kind of criticism about it are also saying like, but I love this movie, mm -hmm. but, but there's this other piece there too. So the thing that I circle back to is like, Efron knows what she's doing, right? Like, is this, is that, is, is that, is she meaning to do this to you or is, or, or not? Like, is this a, is this a feature or a bug in this, uh, in this movie to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I found even so. So there, we should say there are some critics that really love the movie. There's some really, some really good critics love the movie. Janet Maslin, writing in the New York Times, she was one of my favorite critics in the '90s. She has a very positive, very good review. But then, but then there's this review by Michael uh, Michael O'Sullivan in the Washington Post, and he, he says this film made me feel like a Christmas goose being fattened for slaughter. It's force-fed diet of whimsy, cloyed long before the eagerly anticipated romantic payoff arrived to put me out of my misery. But, but even then, but even then he goes back and says, well, not really misery. I mean, he, he, he like, he tries to pan the film, but he really can't. I mean, he, he, he said, and, 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 and I get that. Like I said, I, I wanted to be irritated by a lot of the whimsical stuff. I wanted to be irritated by, you know, cute Meg Ryan running around her, her apartment with the sniffles. And and I really was really irritated by the fact that Joe Fox, she asks him to leave and he doesn't leave. I mean, you know, that that's kind of reprehensible behavior. But at the same time, I'm rooting for him to get the girl. And I just, you know, twists me all up. Yeah. I mean, how much of this is that at the center of this movie are just two absolute charm machines? Yeah. I mean, like, 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 I, if you had told, okay, so I was thinking, and we talked about this, I uh, I can't remember if this was on the show or if this was when we were uh, at Double Indemnity, I was talking about how excited I was to see, like, young Tom Hanks, but then I said, but it's not really young Tom Hanks, because yeah. it's 1998, like, this is post, or right. same year as Saving Private Ryan, but I watched it, and I'm like, this is 1980s, Tom. like, I loved 1980s yeah. Tom Hanks, this is him, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, he, he is, he is that, and that is, about as charming as a as a uh, and charismatic as a person can be, and at the same time, she's daring you to not love this char this this charming person by sort of all things throughout the movie. I mean, the I think the scene in the grocery store is another one that gets written mm -hmm. about a lot. Where, um, again, Nora Ephron is doing this intentionally. Like Meg Ryan is asking the person to swipe the card, and then you just get a more charming Tom Hanks coming in and he doesn't do anything else really than like ask her to like, come on, swipe the card. And for some reason he's like, um, the world wraps his, wraps their arms around him. And then the, the cashier still looks at the stain with the stain at Meg. Ryan. It's like, that's such an interesting scene. Um, and again, it's intentional, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, 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 so what is, what is, what is the, the filmmaker saying here? What is, what is Efron saying about, um, the uh maybe the the range that we give someone like tom hanks's charm that we don't give to meg ryan's because meg ryan is also unbelievably charming in this movie yeah yeah well that means i'm going to say something that, that you know we're uh 35 minutes into this conversation and neither of us has said this explicitly but tom hanks is the second coming of jimmy stewart um and it's the kind of thing you're not supposed to say because it's such a cliche but the reason it's a cliche is because it's true 
Um, I mean, Jimmy Stewart had that same capacity of, of pushing the envelope. I mean, there are, you know, everybody thinks of It's a Wonderful Life as, you know, just this charming film, but he's, he's very rough in that film. And, and Jimmy Stewart was really good at, um, at displaying a wide range of emotions and even engaging in some behavior. Like, It's a Wonderful Life when he confronts Uncle Billy over losing the money. He is not kind to Uncle Billy. He really lays into him. Um, but at the same time, you never lose your fundamental sympathy for him. And I think Tom Hanks is, is the same way. It's pretty hard, even when he's being at his jerkiest, it's pretty hard for us to lose sympathy for him. But, and, and I don't know, to play a little sexual politics here, um, it, it still disappoints me a little bit that a female screenwriter, female director uh, allows that imbalance. I mean, despite everything this film does to uh, literally give Kathleen, Meg Ryan, more screen time than Margaret O'Sullivan gets uh, and, and gives you her point of view in a way that you don't always get Margaret O'Sullivan's point of view in Shop Around the Corner. I still feel like he is holding the cards. And you could say that that's simply the reality of, of relationships in 1998, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like it when somebody asks a filmmaker to make a different film. So mm -hmm. I understand that. But I just, I just wish that so many of the sexual politics of the 1940s hadn't, in some respects, been preserved in this film. But maybe that's because in 1998, and maybe even 2021, we haven't moved as far from those gender relations as we think we have. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, one of the questions that I, that I had was, so again, this is a movie that is, in 1998, is thinking a lot about uh, I mean, it uses, it uses the internet, it uses email, at least as a plot device, um, as, you know, or as an updated version of these sending letters. Um, is this movie trying to tell us anything about the internet or is it just a plot device? And the, the thing I wrote under this just um, <laughs> because I ended up thinking about this and then we could maybe just have this be a regular segment on the show, but I wrote, what would Werner Herzog say? I was thinking a lot about Herzog in the internet and that movie has stayed with me and I just want to keep watching it. So, <laughs> so I'll let you answer either. Is this movie telling us something about the internet or what would er Werner Herzog say? Uh, I'll take the first one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think what it tells us is something we said earlier, Sam, and that is I think in 98, we didn't have any notion of what the deeper uh, underbelly, the darker underbelly was going to look like. Because I think that what's happening here is, um, it, I don't think that Efren really has thought about what the technology actually means. And part of it is, I think, because the technology didn't give you all the options we now have. So there, there's pretty much, in my view anyway, a one-to-one -one correspondence between writing a letter on a piece of paper and putting it in an envelope and writing an email. I think she's just seeing this, uh, this is a kind of a, a simple technological update rather than thinking about the fact that it could it could go in a dark in a darker direction. Although, the film is predated by the New Yorker cartoon, the famous New Yorker cartoon with the dog at the computer uh, saying to the dog on the floor on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Um, I'm pretty sure that that cartoon predates the film, but she doesn't seem to be thinking about that other than the obvious view, uh, uh, the obvious device that she, that Meg Ryan can hide behind the shop girl uh, address. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else you want to talk about with this movie? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that um, one of the other, one of the reasons why this film kind of, oh, well, I want to say two things. One of the reasons why this film kind of opens up in a way that Shop Around the Corner doesn't uh, is because we have to remember Shop Around the Corner is based on a play. 
Uh, and so in many ways, when Lubitsch came to film that, he still kind of had the play in mind, whereas Efron really thinks of this um, as a film in terms of the location shooting in, in New York. The other thing I want to point out is it's really funny to note, if you look at um, Joe Fox's grandfather, uh, that he had a relationship with um, Kathleen's mother. So and that, 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 that's a clever little... Oh, that's a clever little piece of plotting that we realize that this relationship between these two businesses actually goes back a lot further than either Joe or Kathleen themselves actually uh, actually recall. Oh, and then thirdly, I got to give a shout out to Dabney Coleman uh, as Tom Hanks's father and John Lovitz for his uh, cameo in the uh, in the grocery store. <laughs> I. Uh, one other way I was thinking about how else this movie is is indicative of 1998, and this is not a positive, um, but I think about um, pieces of popular culture in at that time. I mean, that's sort of the right at the the peak end of Seinfeld. It's sort of peak Friends on oh, TV. Yeah. This is a New York movie that is unbelievably white, except Dave Chappelle, right? Like, um, yeah. and I, I I actually really I love seeing young Dave Chappelle in this movie as well. I think this is among his first acting roles um and i really liked him in here but it, it, he does sort of stand out and and i don't know again this is me not knowing new york i don't know like if we really are in a particular area or neighborhood like is that an accurate depiction i just i really just don't know that but it definitely it definitely jumps out as a, an extremely white movie yeah definitely um, so I want to, um, last question I had, um, because when, when we've watched, we haven't watched a lot of kind of romantic comedy type things on this. Um, I said last week that I thought that uh, Clara and Kralik like had a future because of the way that that sort of set up and tell that story. So if you had to predict Joe and Kathleen, does, th does this last? And I know you've already expressed some of your thoughts about this, but <laughs> I I, I, I want to say no, because I think he doesn't deserve her. Uh, but I'm going to say yes, because uh, I mean, he's been about as bad as he can be without actually being adulterous. And so she's and she's evidently exposed herself as pretty needy. So I think uh, I think they're going to make it. All right. Um, so what do you have for us for next week? <laughs> well, this is um, we're we're launching a series now. Folks will know I'm launching a series of of originals and remakes, um, and you know this is this in some ways was a not a straight remake of Shop Around the Corner, but close enough. But I'm going to do a really straight remake for next week. So we're going to watch uh, the 1969 uh, John Wayne film True Grit, uh, and then we'll we'll follow that up with the Coen Brothers version with uh, with Jeff Bridges. Oh, fantastic! I love the Cohen True Grit. I've never seen the the nineteen sixty nine uh, uh, John Wayne version, so I'm very excited to I'm very excited to watch this. Um, I may try. Have you read the book? That no, I've never on? read the book. I may try to sneak that in this weekend mm. if I if I can manage it because I think that would be interesting too. I'll for sure do it when we get to the Cohens. I'll have it read, but I'll, I'll see if I can get that in this weekend right, um, right. as well. Oh, very exciting! Well, Barrett, <laughs> thank you so much for recommending this movie. This is something that I clearly was never going to watch because I've had a yeah. million opportunities um, and, and hadn't. Um, I, I actually thought this was, it was, this movie was so much more interesting in conversation with shop around the corner. Um, I think uh, I, I, if I had to say, I think I really liked this movie. I think I have a lot of the, it was interesting to read about. Um, and I have a lot of the same problems that, that, that you brought up, but like I found 
I found the Tom Hanks of it all. Like I just I loved seeing this this uh you know kind of uh 80s Tom Hanks show back up in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I I loved this as a conversation with um with Shop Around the Corner. So thank you so much for recommending this film. Uh, that's all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about the 1969 True Grit in the video store. Mm-hmm.